0: And I will try not to cry through this one. (laughs) The reading today is from Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground, of spring, thirsty ground springs of water, In the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and in it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray." No lion shall be there, no shall any any ravenous beast come up up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away.
1: You know, we're in that season, aren't we? It's unbelievable. I was just talking to somebody, and you know, with the warm weather and lack of snow, it just doesn't seem like we're just a couple of weeks away from Christmas, and uh, we are. But what, one thing I notice is that wherever you go, there are, there's just joy all around. And I don't mean by people's attitudes. I mean like when you walk into a store, you will see joy written all over the place. When you turn on your radio, you will hear songs about joy. Even the songs we just sang, joyful, joyful, we adore you. And come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And you also hear comfort and joy. Of course, joy to the world, right? Probably one of the most famous songs. You just see joy all around you, not so much from people, but you hear it and you see the word written down. This should be a joyful season for us, but I'll tell you what, like for me, there were many years when um, Christmas was anything but joyful. And just to give you a little backdrop on that, like I used to live in Florida and sometimes I would come home for a visit for Christmas and this was the only time I would see my family throughout the whole entire year. So I had these like great expectations set of of how much fun this is gonna be and this is just gonna be like one week of awesomeness and this is what would happen. Like we would, we would spend all of our money on plane tickets and presents for all of our nieces and nephews. Then we would get on a plane and arrive with jet lag and be really tired. And then we'd see family and we would stay up really late into the night. And then we would get up the next day and like go stay at somebody else's house. And my parents are divorced, so I'd, I'd always have to be like careful. I want to split time exactly even so that nobody feels cheated in this. And then sometimes we'll go stay at my sister's house so that we can invite both of them to come and they would both feel welcome. And so we're sleeping in a different bed almost every single night, living out of suitcases, staying up extremely late, and then, of course, eating 497 Christmas cookies on top of that. So, like, crashing from a sugar rush from all of those cookies. It was anything but joyful. It was, I was anxious. There was anxiety upon me. And I, I know that I would go home, like, every year from Christmas, and I would just be exhausted and i always feel like man i wish i would have just had more time i wish that i would have been less tired and less moody and and loved and spend more time with my nieces and nephews and that would just be christmas for me and i'm sure that some of you can probably relate to that right you know we come into the season and we have all of these thoughts and expectations that this is just going to be a great season. And then we get consumed with the Christmas shopping. And most of you don't live in Madison, or at least your home isn't. So you do all this traveling, living out of suitcases. And it could just be a time of anxiousness. It's anything but joy. I feel like we're missing something in this season. And you'll hear a lot of Christians will probably say, we know what you're missing. You need to put Christ back in Christmas right? Or you got to have the reason for the sea. I don't know why I'm talking in a, a southern accent, by the way, but I did live in Florida for a long time, and there was people down there for, with, with southern accents. But yeah, that, that, that is part of it. Like, we really do need to really focus back on Christ during Christmas, because we kind of lose that with the hustle and bustle of this, this busy Christmas season. But I feel like sometimes we just get stuck on this little baby Jesus like, that's what Christmas is all about. You have this eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus, and that's what we focus on. You know, like, Jesus is the only person in history that when we celebrate his birthday, we think about a baby? Think about how weird that is. That we, we don't celebrate the grown-up Jesus who went to the cross to die for our sins. We celebrate this baby in a manger because somehow it seems more cute to us. Let that sink in a little bit. We celebrate a baby. And there's good reason for that, but we can't get stuck on just an 8-pound, 6-ounce baby boy Jesus. The words in Isaiah 35 are part of what we're missing. The birth of Christ is the inauguration of a new kingdom. There's a new kingdom that is has established, and this king has come that gives us new hope, that can bring us joy no matter where we are in life. This new king brings joy. Isaiah is writing to a people who are about to be exiled. And and if you know uh, Israel's history, at this time in history, there was a northern and southern kingdom. There was a northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and and they were pretty much separate nations at this point. And the Assyrians come in, and they raid the northern kingdom, they blow them out of the water, and they exile these people in the northern kingdom. the Assyrians had this, this awesome game plan. I mean, this was really genius, that let's go in and let's take... The, the upper class and the powerful class, and we will exile them to different parts of the Assyrian nation. So here in, in the Northern Kingdom, there will be none of the powerful class. We'll separate them, so they can't even get their brains together and try to come up with some kind of retreat. And then we'll leave the common class here because we don't need to fear them. Nothing is gonna happen. And then, and then they moved all these Assyrians into the Northern Kingdom so they could rule over these common people. So Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and they see this happening. They see that the northern kingdom is exiled. Isaiah is writing and saying, you know what? You're going to be exiled as well. One day you are going to be without a home. And that's exactly what happens about 100 years later. Not the Assyrians, but the Babylonians come in and conquer the southern kingdom of Judah. And then they exile. You know, you've know, you probably heard the, the Babylonian captivity referred to before. So, what Isaiah does here in this passage is he's preparing them for a day when they will be exiled, and they strengthen them with the hope that one day they would be rescued and restored as the people of God. Isaiah sets the scene with imagery of a dry and barren desert. I know, like living in Wisconsin, you probably don't realize this, but there are actually places in the world that it is so hot that things will not grow. Um, It is so hot and dry that there's just nothing beneficial to human beings. Like you could not just move into the desert and and live for many years and survive because there is nothing that can give life to a human being. It's just barren. And this is this imagery that Isaiah is using. This is a barren desert. There's nothing good for humans here. It begins with the wilderness. If you were the reader in in Israel of, of that day, what you would think of was Well, you know what our ancestors, when we were slaves in Egypt and and God heard our cry and he came in to rescue us and he sent Moses in and and he gathers the people and brings them out, clears the Red Sea, we cross through, he destroys our enemies and he's leading us towards this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. But then of course they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This wilderness, this barren land of like, how are we going to survive? You know, back in Israel or back in Egypt, at least we were fed. At least we, you know, we might have been slaves, but at least we had food. And God brings them through this wilderness experience so that they can trust and depend on him. And he says, you know what? I'm just going to cause this dew to come up. And inside this dew is going to be this bread. And you can eat off of this bread. Imagine that, a God that would just have bread come up in the grass every morning. And guess what? When they, when they get sick of this bread, they will say, you know what? We'd like some meat, God. Can you give us some meat? I know that you're just making this miracle of this. This manna that comes up. Can we get some meat? And, and these quail just fly overhead, and they just fly dead, and they're not filled with any kind of disease. It's just like, okay, we can eat this quail, and this will be awesome, these birds. And there's no water. This is a barren place. There's no water, and God will do things like, okay, Moses, I want you to just like smack your staff up against this rock, and water is going to come out, and you guys will have water, and you will survive. He brings them through the wilderness so that they will realize that God is faithful. They can trust in His promises. They can learn to depend upon Him for taking care of them in their life. Isaiah's readers were in a similar predicament. This isn't by accident that Isaiah invokes memories of their ancestors' 40-year wilderness experience. God's people would once again be without a home. They would once again feel this wilderness experience, to feel alone, to feel like, not being a people. And even when Isaiah writes to them, at this current time, they have lost trust in the promises of God and have turned to trust in the promises of the world around them. But Isaiah gives them good news. He tells them of a day coming when they will no longer be in this predicament. A day is coming when the desert will blossom abundantly. There is a new kingdom coming where there will be no more desert." If you want to know, like, how deep sin has actually affected all of creation, if you, if you turn back to Isaiah 3, you will see that after the fall of man that the very ground is even cursed because of sin. Like it's not just going to affect human beings. It's not going to just affect the person who's making the sin. That the very ground is even cursed because of that. So the thorns and thistles will come out. of it. you will depend upon the food that comes out of this. You will work by the sweat of your brow to get food upon this. The very ground is cursed. But what you see in Isaiah is this is a reversal of the curse. All things are going to be made new. I I know that the sin has destroyed this and the ground is cursed, but one day there will be a time when things will begin to be turned upside down, and I will make all things new. Trust me in my promises. You can depend upon me. This desert will no longer be barren, but will blossom abundantly and sing for joy. There's an interesting Uh, use of words here. Um, I love the way that Isaiah uses. He says, not just blossoming, but blossoming abundantly. And he says, not just rejoicing, but rejoicing with joy in singing. I mean, what does that look like, rejoicing with joy? It it, it seems like overkill, right? It's like putting sugar on your cocoa puffs. It's like, oh, no, no, there's plenty of sugar there. You don't need that, but it, it seems like overkill, doesn't it? Isaiah is giving a picture of a day that that even the most dead of things are gonna produce life. Things that are dead will blossom abundantly, rejoicing with joy. It's like he's saying, you're going to blossom like a rose and blossom abundantly. You're going to be overflowing with abundant joy, with this joyful, rejoicing, joyful, singing joy. I mean, it is all about joy. Joy, joy, joy. This is good news, right? I mean, if you were in Israel of that day where you were in the wilderness kind of experience without your homeland and not feeling like a people, a day when God would bring his people come back, come back together and bless them abundantly, that they would be singing and rejoicing? That's good news, right? But This isn't meant to just be a restoration of the ground. This describes the people of God. When was the last time you heard a desert singing? God's people... Although they were spiritually dry, and although they were living in a wilderness, kind of a spiritual wilderness, one day they were going to blossom abundantly, that they were going to sing for joy. And Isaiah moves from the imagery of the land to actual people. In verses 5 through 6, he talks about the blind receiving sight, the deaf hearing, the lame leaping, the mute singing for joy. Now, if you fast forward Like 700 years, you will see the actual fulfillment of this in Jesus' ministry. And there's this spot in um, Luke 4, 16 through 21, where Jesus goes into the synagogue on uh, the Sabbath and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at this, Jesus sits down and he says, today the scriptures has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he drops the mic, right? And he can just walk off. Well, maybe he doesn't drop the mic yet. Because a little bit later in Luke, John the Baptist's disciples are sent to check out Jesus. And they come and they ask him the question, are you the one who has come or shall we look for another? In other words, John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask him, he said, are you the promised one? Are you the one who's gonna rescue us? Are you the one who's gonna save us from this mess that we're in and make this new kingdom where we are a people again? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And I love that Luke doesn't even record a response. Um, Jesus says nothing. It says what he does is he actually goes out and he starts healing. In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and restored the sight of many who were blind. And then Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Then he can drop the mic and walk off the stage, right? Because he has just shown them that he was going to fulfill this promise that was predicted a long time ago in Isaiah. The blind would receive sight, the deaf would hear, the lame would leap, the mute would sing for joy. That is the picture of this new kingdom. Now, I've never been blind or mute or lame or deaf, um, but there was a point in my life that I was blind-ish for about a 24-hour period. I was a young adult pastor back in the day, and we did this camping trip, and we were playing capture the flag at night, and somebody broke the rules and ran through the woods on our side, so I started chasing this person through the woods, and I got a a branch right in the eye, and it kind of stood me up, just like Aldo was was stood up in the fight last night. I didn't see it, so if you don't like that kind of stuff, just Zach, delete that one from the sermon, but it just really stood me up. It just stopped me right in my tracks. And uh, so I said, I- I'm done, I'm done. I just got poked in the eye and I couldn't see. And I just went back to the campsite and I got on my guitar and I started getting ready to lead worship. And then it felt like I had tree bark in my eye and I just started rubbing it and rubbing it and rubbing it. And it started getting more and more painful. So I went into this, this awesome bathroom at a campsite because they're always awesome bathrooms at campsites, aren't they? And I'm just trying to wash out my eye. And then I realized like, guys, I got to go to the emergency room. There's, there's something wrong. There's not something in my eye. There, there's something wrong in my eye. So I go to the emergency room, find out that I had about a matchstick head-sized gash in my cornea. And so I went home, I had this oil and this, this pain stuff to put on there, and for 24 hours, I couldn't see. And the reason why I couldn't see, um, if you close both of your eyes and, and hold your hand over one eye, and then just open the other eye, you can feel like your eyes work together, like the muscles are connected. So whenever I opened this eye or blinked, it just sent extreme pain to this eye. So for 24 hours, I could not open either eye. I was just completely blind. And I know that's for only 24 hours, but I gotta tell you, like when I could open my eyes and see again, when I could see my wife's face who was taking care of me during this time, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And that's only 24 hour period that I was blind. I think, yes, amen. <laughs> I think we probably all experienced this in some kind of way. You know, you, like you, you hurt your knee or break your leg, and it feels like you're never going to run and dance and do the things you used to do. And then all of a sudden, one day it heals, and then you can do all the things you used to do. Uh, maybe you get the flu, and, you know, you're doing the things that the flu makes you do. And... <laughs> If I had a nickel for, like, every time that I've made the promise, like, God, if you will just make me feel better, I will never take my health for granted ever, ever, ever again, right? Because you're just so nauseous in that point, and then it's like a week later, you're, you forget all about your health again. But we've always, we've all had these little moments where things have gotten better, and we've rejoiced. But can you imagine, like, being blind from birth and then receiving sight? Can you imagine being deaf from birth and then being able to hear? To get your sight, to be able to to see a sunrise for the first time, maybe to see your wife's face for the very first time, or to receive your hearing and hear a song. This is the picture that Isaiah gives us of what this new kingdom will be like. It will be like People who were born blind receive their sight. It will be people like who were born deaf can hear for the first time. It will be like people who are crippled from the time they were born will be able to dance and jump like a deer. It will be like the mute singing for the first time, singing joy, full songs. That is the picture that Isaiah is painting here. But this isn't just a literal healing of these kind of things, is it? Of course, you know, we do see that in Jesus' ministry, and there are people that actually receive the sight, but this is a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual healing that we see here that he's using this kind of comparison. In Isaiah, do you know what two descriptor words Isaiah used to describe the status of Israel the most often? Two most words used, deaf and blind. If you read through Isaiah over and over and over again, he will call Israel deaf and blind. Here you have a nation that was chosen by God, called to be his people, saved from slavery, led to a promised land, and yet, Isaiah calls them deaf and blind because that is their spiritual condition. They are dead on the inside. They can't see the work of God around them. They can't hear the voice of God to be able to lead them in the right direction. They are deaf and blind. So this isn't just a literal healing that Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about us being um, just spiritually dead on the inside, to be spiritually blind and deaf and mute and lame. But one day, that will be no more when this, this new kingdom comes. Just like Israel, we all have this crippling disease called sin. And the Bible says we are slaves to sin, Sin makes us blind, it steals our joy, it makes us terminally ill. Sin is like a mirage. If we're, if we're going to continue with this, this wilderness imagery, sin is like a mirage where we see it on the horizon. We said, you know, if I can just get that thing, if I can just get, I will be fulfilled, I will find joy, I will be complete, and we get there and we receive it, and then we realize that it was nothing, that it couldn't quench our thirst. That, that is what sin does, it promises us fulfillment and completeness. And yet it leaves us empty and more thirsty than we ever were before. How disheartening to be fooled by these sinful mirages. But we all do this, right? We put hope in things that can't possibly deliver. A relationship, a job, your status. These things are fleeting. They will never complete you. They weren't meant to complete you. They weren't meant to give you joy, and yet we seek them anyways, and they leave us with a mirage. If you're skeptical here this morning, um, it probably means that you have, that you're yet to experience finding the emptiness of what the world offers. It means that you've yet to go down this road of saying, you know, if I just get this, that I will be complete, and then you get it, and then realize that it's empty. Or maybe you have experienced that. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. That's what sin does. It leaves us empty. It, it, it promises something that it can't possibly deliver. And what I found from my own life is that when, when I go down this road and I think that something is going to deliver when it doesn't, I am left depleted, I am left feeling empty, but it's also in these times in the wilderness where God rescued me. And I hope the same thing happens for you. No matter what kind of wilderness you're going through, I just hope that God will just come in and that Jesus will rescue you and bring you to be his own. You might be sitting here this morning and thinking, what do you mean leap for joy? What do you mean by rejoicing with joy and singing, don't you know what I'm going through? You have no idea how hard my life is. I can barely get out of bed in the morning. I can't even think about rejoicing with joy and singing. That's, that's not even possible at this point. And you're right, I, I don't have any idea what you're going through. But I do know what can change your perspective. I do know what can literally change your heart. And that, that's only found in Jesus. That can only be found in Jesus. Isaiah uses this imagery of deserts and a barren land that blossom abundantly to give people strength and hope. No matter what they might be going through, that they might have this peace and this hope that it will not always be this way. It's not always going to be this wilderness experience that one day things are going to be made right. Things are going to be made new. This is what John Newton experienced when he wrote his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. He said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This is what the Apostle Paul experienced when he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he says, You were dead in your transgressions and your sins, but God has made you alive in Jesus Christ. You were dead, and now you are made alive. Even if you're going through a wilderness experience right now, we can still rejoice because we have the promise that things will not always be this way. One day God is going to make all things new and bring you joy in your life. So the first thing that brings us joy in remembering the birth of Jesus is knowing that all things are going to be restored in this new kingdom, including you. Things will not always be this way. We can have joy right now because we have this hope In this future, we know how the story ends, right? But this isn't just a future hope where one day all things will be made new. This is a present joy. And Isaiah uses imagery of a lost people without a home journeying through this wilderness toward a promised land. But how are we going to get there? Like we, we have this picture, okay, that's great. There's going to be this promised land where, where all of this stuff will be made new and, and we will no longer be in this dry and barren land. But how are we going to get there? Look at verse 8. And the highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Once again, joy, joy, joy. Let's get right to the point on this. The reason why the way is capitalized is because it's referring to a person here. In... John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This picture is that people are in a wilderness, and they're going to the promised land, and the way that they get there is through Jesus. Jesus is the way. If you want to get to the promised land, to this, this land that is not barren, but is flowing with milk and honey, that is blossomingly abundantly, where people sing for joy, Jesus is the only way it says that this path, this way, is the only way to get there. And then look at verses 9 and 10. It says the redeemed and the ransomed of the Lord. This is so important. If you want to experience joy as Christians, you have to understand why Jesus came. We can't just have this picture of this baby boy being born in a manger and I love the way that you know many of these songs make it sound like this is this cute, cuddly place, this is like the most, I mean, I'm an OCD, so being born in a barn and blood and screaming everywhere, this just doesn't sound appetizing to me at all. Not good, All right. We don't just celebrate the birth of a baby, we celebrate the king who came to redeem and ransom us. Listen to Matthew 20, 28. This is Jesus speaking, and this is saying the very reason why he came. It says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, this is why I came, to give my life as a ransom. To give my life as a ransom, not so that you could think that I'm just some great teacher, which many of us in our culture claim to do like, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. Or not just so we could say, oh, Jesus was a, a moral guy. Or, or not just so we have this example that we can follow. Or not just so we have something to celebrate at Christmas. Or not just so we can celebrate this, this little baby born in a manger. Especially not that. Jesus says, I came to ransom a people because they were stuck in this sin and they were never going to get out again. That's the reason I came. So when we see Jesus in a manger, we don't just celebrate, okay, this baby is born. We have a king who was born who is going to go to the cross and die for us so that we might live. That's the picture we get. We have this picture of a baby that we know this baby is not going to live forever. This baby is going to die for me. That's why we rejoice at Christmas because this isn't just some baby in a manger. This is the king who is building his, his new kingdom. And the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. They will not be able to prevail against it. It is going to go to the ends of the earth. It is going to bring a new people to itself. It's going to pull us out of this muck of sin and make us his own. That is the king that is born here, this king who is going to die for you. And That's why we can have joy in Christmas, because we are being rescued in this. His baby came to die. You can't separate the two. The the born king, the crucified king. They have to go together in this. He came to ransom and redeem because we needed rescue. That's why Jesus came. There was something so intrinsically wrong with us, so broken, that Jesus had to die to fix it. We, um, my wife comes up with these genius projects at all the wrong times, and right before Thanksgiving, she said, hey, let's redo the fireplace. And so we went and got paint, and I ripped the mantle off of our fireplace, and then realized that okay we have people coming over for thanksgiving in a couple days so i need to figure out this new beam for our fireplace and it was a lot of work um but that's just a side story on how my wife is putting me in the grave because she's not here to defend herself so i can i can say those kind of things um but just the other day my dad and myself were we're out in our driveway and i have these these old mantle boards that had these long nails going through them and. Like I got to pull these out before like one of them tip over and stick into one of my children's heads or something like that. So we get these boards out and to get nails out of a board, you know, you just take a hammer and you just lightly tap on this nail, right? To try to get it to come through because you need the head to come through the other side so you can get something underneath to brace it to be able to pull it out. But what happens on about every fourth nail, if you've ever done this before, is it gets bent, it gets bent, and once it gets bent, you know, you, you try to pound it to straighten it out, but there's always that bent in the nail, and then you try to nail it back down, and it just bends over again. It's, it's like almost impossible to get things out. So what we had to do is, is grab a pliers and just straighten this nail and then tap it until it would actually come out, but it needed something to be straight. There was no way this thing was going to come out of a board unless we had a pliers to be able to straighten it out. This is what sin does to us. Sin bends our lives. Sin enslaves us. There's no way we can get out of there because we, we have been bent by sin. Unless God sends a miracle pliers, right? There's no way we're going to get out of this, this muck of being stuck in our sin. We will be stuck there forever unless God does something and praise God that he actually does. He sends Jesus who straightens us you know, if you see make path make this path straight it's just talking about straightening making righteous that's what it's talking about and that's what Jesus does on the cross he makes sinners who deserved death righteous He makes us straight. He pulls us out of the muck. And when Jesus is born, he comes in there, and and then this king lives this perfect life, the life that we should have lived. And then at the end, he goes to the cross and dies a sinner's death, the death that we deserve so that we can be ransomed, that we can be redeemed, that we can come back into a relationship with God because that's the only way that's going to happen. Jesus straightens us. He makes us righteous in God's eyes. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees us as sinners. He sees us as righteous because we have Jesus upon us if we have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is joy for right now. This isn't just some hope in the future. I mean, all you got to do is look at your own life when you continue to sin, go back and go say, oh my goodness. Thank goodness that Jesus straightened me out and that I don't have to be buried underneath this sin, that that I know that I've been set free from the consequences of the sin, that that I'm not going to have to face death in the same way because Jesus has set me free. That's what Jesus does. God loves us and sent his son for us who took our place so that we can be free and that we can live, that we can have a new life, that we can have hope and that we can have joy even in the right now. We don't like to think about this Jesus, though, do we? I think this is why we get stuck in this baby Jesus as Christmas because, first of all, we don't like to think about this baby coming just to die for our sins, the reason for him coming. And then the other thing, we don't like to think that we have need to be rescued, right? We like to think that if I can just do a little bit better, if I can just be a little more righteous, if I can just do all the right things and be good, then I don't need Jesus at all. I don't need to be rescued. So we kind of resort to this baby Jesus at Christmas. You know, if you're skeptical here this morning, it's important to you know what Christmas is all about. This isn't just some baby being born. This is the king of the universe who establishes his new kingdom, who dies for your sins so that you can be set free and live a new life. That is a promise for eternity. If you're a Christian, um, who maybe struggles to find joy in this season, if you get kind of sucked into the hustle and bustle, let me just finish with a story for you. Um, The reason Angela's not here is because she's, she's down in Charlotte with her sister. Her sister was pregnant with her first baby and she had complications like six weeks ago. And so they brought her in, got her labor to stop, had her in the hospital for a few days, sent her home again. She got home, her water broke. So this was, she was like 23 weeks, I think, at this time, 24 weeks. So her water broke, she went back into the hospital. They were able to slow down her labor, and there was actually enough fluid inside of her, and she was early enough in the pregnancy that they just made her bedridden in the hospital and could save the life of this baby. So for the last five weeks, she has laid in a bed in the hospital. Her, um, her husband, my brother-in-law, Matt, has been amazing. Like, he has his own home in Charlotte, but yet he goes out and works. And every night he comes home, uh, comes back to the hospital and spent the night with her. They have fought tooth and nail to try to save the life of this baby. She went into labor last week. Um, She was at 31 weeks. The doctor says, you know what, we have pumped this baby with steroids. It will be strong, it it should be over four pounds. The way we're measuring it, we're we're in good shape, we're good. And then the baby got stuck in the birth canal. All that fighting to save the life of a child and something like getting stuck in the birth canal. So they they realized they couldn't get this baby out, so they brought her in for an emergency C-section, And what turned out is that this baby, when the water broke, had gone down further than it should. And because she was still small down there, her head actually grew into the area of her body, so they really had to eventually rip this baby out because she was attached to my sister-in-law, or my sister-in-law was going to die. So. My, my sister and brother-in-law lost their first baby, and Angela's down there with them right now to help comfort them through this time. But I bring this story up um, not just because it's a baby being born, but we had a family member who said, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does this happen? You know, this is the very reason I don't believe in God, because... This shouldn't have happened to Matt and Danielle. They they should have had this baby survive. And I instantly just wrote um, a letter that I'm going to read to you. And uh, here's the answer to those questions. Bad things happen to everybody because we live in a fallen and broken world where all people are bent by sin. Sin is what causes infections, diseases, and death. We We can blame all of that on sin. Without God... We would all be left here with no hope. But thanks be to God, he not only doesn't leave us there, but he does something drastic about our sin problem. God becomes a man and dies a sinner's death. He takes on our sin that we might be free from it, free from his penalty, free from his power, and one day free from his presence. We only have this hope in Jesus Christ, so thank goodness there is a God or we would be stuck in this sin muck forever. And if we have Christ, we have hope that someday there will be no death, sadness, sickness, crying, evil, murder, agony, or any of the likes because in Christ we have an eternal destiny free from the effects of sin because Jesus is putting all of his enemies under his feet and making all things new. This, this is the picture that we get at Christmas. This isn't just some eight pound six ounce baby being born this is the king who was born to establish a new kingdom and rescue us from the sin muck this is why we have joy in this season because we would be lost and devastated by sin without it we would be destroyed but thanks be to god that even though our sin was bad enough, that Jesus had to die for us, that God loved us enough that Jesus was happy to do it. That's why we can have joy and should have joy in this season. That's why we can sing joy to the world. Jesus came to make war on sin and redeem us from his curse. King Jesus has come. Amen. Hallelujah. King Jesus has come. So let us rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I have no idea why you would love us enough to die for us. But when we realize the problems of this world and connect it to this sin problem... We know that we have no choice but to turn to you and receive your grace. So, Father, I ask that you help us to do that. Not just those who are skeptical, but those who believe in us, that, that we might be consumed with your grace, that we might be filled with your joy because you have ransomed and redeemed us. Father, help us to not get caught in the busyness of the season, but that we might find joy because the King has come and the King has set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.